Good morning, everybody. It is now. <clears throat> I guess the the opening comment would be: I always say it's good to be here, but here it really is good to be here. Uh, the nature of my life. I think I'm on. Am I good? You guys good? You can hear me anyway, right? Uh, is uh, in a different church virtually every week. Most Sundays, a couple different churches. I think we went two or three weeks in a row. I was speaking three times in a row, and so uh, <clears throat> when I come here. Though some of you I've not met before, many of you I've met multiple times, it feels like home. And I begged Keith, I said, please, you know, even if it's just, you know, once a year or twice a year, please let me still come, you know, I still want to be, uh, I still want to be connected to you all. Because I, while I believe I'm where God wants me to be, um, <clears throat> what I enjoy most is journey in faith with a group of people. Um, and, you know, when you just speak at a church once and then never go again, you can just throw your best stuff out, tell your best jokes, and move along. But uh, uh, when you have a repetitiveness with people, there's, um, there's a sense of journeying together. And, and you know what a journey is? A journey is, uh, it's like a race. And I'm not a runner. Uh, I run and I hate it, but uh, I'm not a runner. But I know in every race, there are, uh, there are spurts of, of you feel great and feel you can go forever. And then there's spurts of, uh, oh no, I think my body's going to die. And then there's Heartbreak Hill where you're doing great, but the terrain is beating you up. Uh, and, and that's really what journeying, uh, really what journeying is. So I've, uh, I've missed our conversations. The place looks great. Uh, I did come to see uh, uh, Keith a bit ago, uh, but it looks better with you in here, you know, so much better. And to hear your voices, and, and I know these things don't... Uh, Come easy. So, uh, I, I'll give you a, a true confession. Um, now, Keith is the master of creating sermons way ahead of time, as you already know, right? So he'll send me, you know, the sermon in the series that I'm participating in months ahead of time. I'm like, I haven't even given a, a casual thought to that. Like, how can? I? <laughs> and so, after a particular crazy week, I think it was Friday morning. I think I think I. I think I got it, and uh, Sally was uh, asking for, you know, some direction, you know, what are you going to talk about? And uh, so about, about mid-morning on Friday, I felt like I've got it, I'm set, and I just happened to double-check my notes and realized that was the November sermon, not the October sermon, and so I'm pretty prepared for November. <laughs> so I started over again and uh, ready to go. Tension, uh, Heath, Keith and I both uh, attended a conference, and the theme of the conference was tension is good. Most people wouldn't say that, you know, but if you can think of the great illustration that I'll never forget about that, uh, that conference is they, they gave everybody a rubber band, and they said, you know, now throw that rubber band, you know, at the person next to you. So you throw it, and it kind of fiddles and falls before. I said, now create some tension and aim it at the person next to you. <laughs> and, uh, and then they said, no, not shoot in the air. And, you know, just attention, tension is good. And I would say this, and I, I think I'm, I'm right, but um, pretty much everything of any great value involves tension. You want to have a good marriage? Tension. <laughs> you know, you want to raise kids? Multiply the tension by the number of children. 
You want to be a Christ follower? Tension. You want to move forward in work? Tension. You want to fill it? Fill it in. But the topic uh, you've been talking about the last couple of weeks is this idea of truth. Now, I'll tell you, I think that a world would be simple, and I know that, that Keith alerted to this in one of his messages, but I'll, I'll use my phrase that uh, a world for me and my preference would be a this and that kind of world. And here's what I mean by that. This is right, that is wrong. Right? Simple. Or, this is good, that is bad. This is clear, that is blurry. This is love, that is hate. This is sin, that is righteousness. This is new, that is old. We can keep going, right? That's, that's, a, that's a this and that world. This is wonderful. That is awful. Oh, you guys are going to get us complex. I'm going to flip this. This is wonderful. <laughs> that is awful. <laughs> this, is, this is legal. That is illegal. This is safe. That is dangerous. A this and that world is how we want to live. However... I believe this level of clarity is very good and very important for one population of people. Children. It is okay to tell a child, that's good and that's bad. Don't run in the street. Stay in the yard. Don't eat that. Eat that. Right? That's our job. Of this and that world is for children. However, as we get older, into our teenage years, in our 20s, in our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, we realize that a this and that world does not make sense. And we begin to understand that truth really has this kind of blending. Well, this is good and that's not so good, but not completely bad. And that's bad, but there's some good in it. And, and we begin to, to realize that there's this, this pull, nuance, sort of. The older I get, the more I realize I'm not a this and that person. <laughs> and I also realize that things are rarely as they seem at first take. I mean, we can, on any given evening, you can watch the news and there'll be some criminal or violent activity. And without question, you'll interview the neighbors. And what do the neighbors say? He's such a family man. I don't know why he killed her. You know, I don't, he's such, you know, their children so wonderful. I don't know why. It's, it's, this, it's this constant things don't seem as they appear from a distance. In the faith community, and I grew up in church, I've been in church my whole life, I, uh, I've seen the good and the bad and everything in between. But here's a comment I often hear. How, why did he act that way? He said what? He was a Christian. 
how could she do that? She said she followed Jesus. And I've learned that this and that world also hides things, and things aren't always as they seem. They're complex. They're more personal. They're easy until they have names to them. Isn't it true? Pick the, pick the thing that really disappoints you. Can't think of an example, but I'm sure you could. It's more palatable when it's your child or your brother. Oh, I can't stand people that act like this, and then somebody you love acts like that. Suddenly the nuance is different, that this and that is different. It becomes personal. The important things, oftentimes you have to look behind the curtain. Now let's think about it in theology. And theology is just a, a fancy word for how we think about God. So let's, let's think about this for a minute, how we think about God. And I... Uh, Let's take, for example, was, was Jesus man or was he God? The answer is yes. Do we, do we get to heaven through faith or do we get to heaven through doing good works? The answer is yes. You see, it's not as, as easy as this and that. Is the kingdom of God here right now in Wakefield, Rhode Island, or is it still to come? Yes. It's as if all the ways we think about God are, are living in this dynamic tension that's pulled in these extremes. Could it possibly be faith and works? Yes. And no other except the expanse of God. So you and I are linear. It has to be this comes to this comes to this, but tension and truth tells us no, it's not. Is the spirit in you or does the spirit come on you? <laughs> yes. Does God know the future? And does God not control the future? <laughs> ah, it's either one or the other, right? The answer is yes. Is God one or three? You know where I'm going, right? Yes. So when we think about God, it's virtually impossible to think in a linear way. It's virtually impossible to think about it's either this or that because God is bigger than that. Tension is bigger than our rational way. And I, some of you are like me and some of you aren't. I like to have things in order. I need to know this meets this meets this. And my relationship with God constantly stretches because he messes that up. And he has the right to do that. And truth, I believe, sits right in the middle of tension. Is he a good guy or a bad guy? Yes. <laughs> so, better get to doing something, huh? So Paul wrote much of the New Testament. And he writes these letters. And he writes them to very, very specific groups of people. And um, the interesting thing about the letters of the Bible 
is he's, always, he's usually reacting to someone. So you're reading somebody else's mail. It's like somebody else's mail showed up in your mailbox, and rather than finding out who gets it, you took it and opened it. <laughs> and you started reading, and you saw a language that appeared to be addressing a matter that appeared to be very serious. But you have to figure out what, what that matter is. That's what the letters of the New Testament, he write, but when he writes to the book, the church in Corinth, they were, I was going to say, they were much like you. Well, they are much like all of us, but they were troubled. Most, I, I'm in a different church every week, and you know what I find? Every church that I'm in has good and challenging things going on all the time. Why? Let me tell you why. It's, it's, a, it's no secret, because humans are invited. <laughs> That's the whole reason. So he writes this church, and he and it's one of the best descriptions we have of communion because communion deals with forgiveness. It's one of the best descriptions we have of love because love is how we live. It's a description about authority and how authority works. And, and as you go through those two books, you get to this one, one incredibly revealing paragraph that is very, very personal to Paul. And what he does for us in that moment is he... He lets us look behind the curtain of what it means to follow God in difficult times because he talks about his own life. And he follows God in really difficult times. And this part of this letter helps us understand this idea of truth because it helps us, reminds us that God is perfect. We are not. God is patient. We are not. God is just. We try. God is full of grace. And we're not always full of grace. Yet the only vehicle to carry the wonder and majesty of God is you. God chose to do it that way. He could have clearly downloaded all his truth and skipped over humans, and probably the confusion would be gone. But he chooses to use people like me and you. That is a huge risk. So I want to look at this letter in just a, a four or five verses, and we'll just go through them once, and then we'll circle back and kind of break it down a little bit. The first uh, six verses in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians talk about the glorious light that shines around and then through, and Paul's talking about himself because he models for us what it means to follow Christ. And then he breaks it down into raw terms. Terms that are a little different for you and I because, and I'll explain that in a moment, so let me just read it to you. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Keep going. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. 
For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that this life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death, listen to this paradox. Death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. The whole stretch of these, whatever it is, uh, six, five verses, is a paradox. It's a tension for truth. Let's start with jars of clay. Now, most of you didn't, when you uh, transport things, you transport in a bag, you know. Um, I don't know if the law, I know in, in uh, Boston, you know, you can't get bags in stores anymore. I don't know if you can do that here. Can you still get bags in stores, plastic bags? Or they, they've got rid of them, all right? So you just got to carry them like I, because I, I'm, I'm principled enough not to keep buying more bags. But um, what we think about a, a typical plastic bag at a grocery store is about the irreducible minimum of a worthless, and that's why I get rid of it, because they get thrown away all the time. And really, in, in you know, first century Christianity, these clay pots really transported stuff, water, or they were smaller clay pots that were used as lights, but they were, to use a current phrase, they were just a dime a dozen. They were, they, you dropped them, so well, we got a whole cupboard full of them. It didn't matter, didn't matter. They were... They were simply um, a low, low value, everyday, run-of-the-mill thing that everybody knew and everybody had. Oh, uh, wealthy people and poor people all had clay pots. Nothing special. And he says, you are nothing but a jar of clay. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't stand up and say, oh, thank God, I'm a jar of clay. What a... What an amazing compliment to me. No. But what he's saying in that is the packaging is extremely fragile. And you know, I mean, I know. I just recently moved, and we had all these clay pots on the, on the deck. Yes, I broke most of them. They are so fragile. But they're inexpensive, right? You go, oh, that's a couple bucks, so go get another one. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you are clay pots. You are these jars of clay. This packaging is fragile. In other words, we could say it a different way. Nick is fragile. Keith is fragile. Gina is fragile. Tim is fragile. And we could go around every one of our names and say, we're very fragile. Our life, we don't know if we'll have another breath. Um, our own world is insane but the packaging is fragile but what is the content he says in these jars of clay is the content of the living god you know i i grew up in church and i'm grateful for that but those of you that that's your experience, also stuff came along with it. And some of the stuff that came along for me was I learned in Sunday school that I better live right. Because if I mess up, somebody will be watching my life and they won't come to Jesus because I was a jerk and they're going to hell because of you. Now, whether they said it that way, I don't know. But that's how I translated it. I was scared out of my mind. Like every time I made a mistake, oh no, 
I can hear the, the screams of hell. I just sent more people to hell because I fill in the blank. I lived in this crazy, but the bottom line is I, I, I am and was a, a clay pot, and it didn't matter. Inside the clay pot is what matters is the content. The God of the universe who loves us so much has sent his son to die so we have life and life to the full. The content of the, as Paul says in the earlier parts, the glorious light that resonates inside of us. But there could be no more tension than that. There could be no more. Um, what's important is the, is the packaging that important? Of course. But is it more important than the content? Of course not. How do you know if you get a really expensive pen? Now, I like really nice pens. Now, my theory is if I have a nice pen, I don't lose it ever. If I have a cheap pen, I say, here, take this, I don't care, right? My wife, she likes big pens, you know, 10 for a dollar. Imagine when you get a nice pen, it always comes in a really nice package. It usually comes in a wood or a, or, you know, a, a, a nice, beautiful, you open it and the pen sits there. And the value of the pen has to be balanced with the packaging, right? Like you wouldn't want a really nice Mont Blanc pen that costs five or six hundred or a thousand, you know, in like a little baggie and somebody hands it to you. They say, that can't be real. It must be a knockoff. Somebody must have sold that on the street. It really can't be real. I'll, t I'll judge it. I'll judge it by the content or the packaging. Or, you know, a, a, um, a, a piece of jewelry. You know, you don't go to a jewelry store and he says, you know, you spend... $1,500 on a beautiful ring for the person that you love, and they say, hey, hey, dump the rest of your stuff out of that paper bag you had lunch in. Let me throw, a, let me throw the ring in here. Here you go, pal. And it doesn't go that way. You get these boxes that, or I'm an Apple products guy. The thing I love about a new Apple product is the packaging. It's just so amazing. I mean, it really is. Like, the box has this slow motionness to it. Like, it, like, you take the top, right? Take the top, and it just kind of comes off slow. And you kind of open up, and it has usually flaps. And I'm just amazed. And I can, now I can touch the, because the, the packaging is so amazing. It's not true with you. <laughs> it's not true with me. We're clay pots. But inside is this amazing, and that's what Paul is saying. From my experience, you're all a bunch of jars of clay. And what does that look like? And Paul begins to unpack this experience. He, he sets up the illustration because he's a masterful communicator. As soon as he said, you're all jars of clay, they went, oh, no, that's so cruel. And then he said, but let me tell you. And he begins to go through the first passage. You're hard-pressed on every side. In other words, the packaging gets hit. But you're not crushed because the content remains he says you're perplexed but you're not in despair because the content remains you're persecuted smashed challenged questioned but the content is not abandoned you're struck down but you're not destroyed because the content remains the same and so he says from his own life that 
The content is enduring. Life is hard. Stuff happens. We're clay pots. But the content will never change. What's challenging for us is if we think that everything we do, every word we say, every decision we make, every action we ever do has to be absolutely perfect. But it can't. Because the content is so amazing. And then he goes on. And he says, we're always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. And he has another... So first, the first tension is packaging versus content. Now the second tension is you carry life and death with you at the same time. It's an amazing couple of verses. We carry around a body the death of Jesus and that the life of Jesus may be revealed. For we who are alive are always being given over to death so that his life may be revealed. That, and basically he's saying, the reason you're a clay pot because it's not that important. Jesus is what's important and it can, it can show its fault, and as it reveals, it reveals the content. Death is at work, but life is at work in us. Man, that's, that's tension. It's tension in me, it's tension in you. Um, we all know in our heart that we're confident in God but insecure in ourself. We believe and we doubt at the same time. We're confident and scared at the same time. We're bold and insecure at the same time. And so, what do we do? We keep going. Because it's not in our hands, it's in God's hands. We are jars of clay carrying a great treasure. Think about, think about if, I, I try to think of different ways to illustrate this this morning if I, you know, could have. You know, to just to have a, a, a clay, you know, just a clay flower pot and put something so incredibly fragile and expensive in it and then just drop it. <laughs> what? Why would God trust us by depositing his greatness in us it's a crazy risk but it's what he does every single day and then paul he writes this other church in in the town of galatia and he the same idea is resonating with him and he he says this phrase he said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, you know what? All that stuff went to the cross. Death lives in me and life lives in me. Tension clay pot, the glory of God, death and life. We live right here in the middle, the Son of Man. God and man lives right here. <laughs> so what do we do with that? Since I have two minutes and 20 seconds left. That's my imposed 
deadline. It looks like tension that reveals God. See, right now, some of you came in this morning thinking, man, I just want to get there so I can feel better because everything in my life is a mess. Others of you came in thinking, man, my clay pot is together. I mean, somebody, I mean, it's, it's painted, it's beautiful. Somebody even put it in up and glazed it. Like, my, my clay pot is kicking, man. And, uh, and, and then somebody else comes in and, you know, they're, they're like this little piece of the clay pot because somebody dropped you. And there's this one you're like holding, this is all I am. It's all, that's all I have left. <laughs> and I just hold it up and see what God will do with it. What we do with this is realize that no matter how smashed your clay pot is, the more it gets smashed, the more it reveals God. You know what I've learned in my 60 years of life? In the most difficult places is when God is the closest. It's in the most fragile places that God comes alongside. You know, when you're really cranking, you can go for days without even thinking about God. But when you're broken, you are calling out to God for your very breath. So it's the wisdom of God to be clay pots that his glory sits in. Why? Because the kingdom of God, as Dr. Gordon Fee said, is the already here but not yet kingdom. We recognize that in confusion, in doubt, in joy and celebration, God is here. It's kind of like this. You and I live in a space. The death, here, here, here's where it is, all right? I'm about to wrap it up. This will help you. How can you live with death and life at the same time? You and I are living in Easter Saturday. We know that Jesus has died for us. And we know that at one point God's going to say enough. And he's going to put everything in order that Sunday. But you live in the middle of death and resurrection. That's what Paul says. You know that a price was paid. And you know that at the end you're going to win. But today is the tension of life. And so we walk with God, and we carry it forward. Because we're jars of clay. And when you're a jar of clay, the beautiful thing is, is that it doesn't matter what it looks like. It's what's inside. It's the surprise element. It's the joy of, I get out of the way so they can see God. I'm at the place in my life where I realized the more I get out of the way, the more God gets done. There was a time in my life, I guarantee it, I thought, hey God, I'm your guy. You need me on the team. We can get a lot done. I bring a lot of skills to the table. We can push this thing forward in an amazing way. And now I realize, I bring so little to the table. I just need, I'm just a clay pot. All they want to do is get out of the way and say, look what's inside. Don't look at the pot. Look what's inside. Don't look at me. Look what's inside. Don't judge me. Look what's inside. And that's what Paul said. He said, man, 
He said, I've been crushed, but I'm not destroyed because look what's inside. I may, be, I may be persecuted and prosecuted, but don't look at me. Look what's inside. And the things that come to you that you think are awful, all they do is crack open and reveal the beauty of God. That is tension. And that is truth. Let me pray for you, God.